Remain standing for the reading of God's Word today. Today's text comes to us from Galatians chapter 6, verses 15 through 16. And the sermon is entitled, Making Our Lives Count. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of God. You may be seated. There are many things in life that feel very important, but are not. The very first verse of today's sermon starts off with the declaration that the ultimate thing that matters in life is rebirth. Do you see that there in verse 15? That nothing else counts but a new creation. That's what matters. It is quite possible for us to be well-educated, well-traveled, well-groomed, well-entertained, well-dressed, well-fed, well-known, and still completely be very well on our way to hell, living a wasted life. One day in heaven or in hell, we're going to look back on this life, this very short life, as Lazarus, as, as Lazarus and that rich man did in, in Jesus' story. And we're going to recognize that this life on earth was a brief nanosecond. That everything I'm doing right now, that what you're doing here, it was, it was, it was a nanosecond in comparison to eternity. The Bible, in fact, calls this life a vapor. Now today is the four-year anniversary of mustard seed. And my, have those four years gone by fast. Time is unquestionably quick, and it is brutal. It is brutal. And strangely, however, many of us live this life, this vapor of a life, without any realization of what's truly important in life. I mean, think about it. If life is really short and there really is a heaven and a hell, and what we do in this life does directly impact our eternities. The Apostle Paul lived that way. One of the secrets to Paul's life, if you're sitting there and and wondering, how can I live a life of maximum impact like the Apostle Paul? Here's a quick secret. Paul's secret to that is constantly being driven by the truth that each laborer will be rewarded according to his labor. 1 Corinthians. Everyone will be rewarded according to his labor. And that drove him. Paul was a fierce competitor in that regard. He said, I literally beat my body so I could run this race and win. There's a good aspect to that. But if we understand this, and I know you've been taught that since some of you being raised in the church, since very, very young, you've been taught, work hard for God because you'll be rewarded. You're not saved by what you do, but you certainly will be rewarded by what you do. You know this. And yet, though you know life is short, 
though you know that what you do in this life matters, many of us live this life wasting it. If we do all know all of these things, we, it would be wise for us to invest our time, relationships, resources in eternity. Yeah, why is it that many of us get caught up in doing things that we think are important, but have no eternal significance? Back in the day, I, when I was a kid, video games were all plugged into a wall outlet. And I know it's not the case anymore, but I, I liken the person who lives his life without an eternal focus to the boy who plays that video game and works so hard each week as, at raising his score. And finally, he beats the game, completes the highest score ever, jumps up and down, only to realize that it's just a video game. That when you pull the cord, the score is gone. doesn't matter. You know, I'm sure that for the Jews, the act of circumcision, a tradition that stretched back 2,000 years prior to the writing of this letter, was a seemingly important act. Yet Paul says that it doesn't count for anything. Do you see that there? A statement that must have surely taken the breath out of his listeners. <gasps> what do you mean it doesn't count for anything? And Paul says there's only one thing that matters in life, and that's knowing Christ and being known by Him. That's the only thing that matters. I remember when the Boston bombings occurred three years ago. You all remember that. And the news of it was starting to come in through the media outlets. I was in the car at the time, and sports radio was on. The ra- on, on. And the host interrupted the show to let his audience know that the bombs had gone off, lives were lost, bodies were dismembered, and horrific scene. And it was noticeably difficult for the host to then go back and talk about baseball games and batting averages after he broke the news of the Boston bombings. Things were put into sharp perspective and all of a sudden, talking about sports almost felt disrespectful and flat out insignificant. And the host tried to go back to talking to sports, but he found himself at a loss for words, and he admitted that what he did on a daily basis was quote-unquote kid stuff that didn't matter. While what was occurring in Boston was truly important in life. And I thought about that for a while. If the host truly believed that what he said was true, in a moment of honesty then why did he bother to come into his job every day? Sure, they pay their anchors well, and pay must have been one of the reasons. But if deep down inside, he knew that what he was doing every day was trivial and insignificant, according to his own words, kid stuff that don't matter, then why bother coming in every day to do that sort of job? What's the point of working a job you feel doesn't really count for anything is money 
a sufficient buyout for true meaning and satisfaction in life? I found it really odd that at a moment of blunt honesty, the host blurted out the fact that his job covering sports and games was really insignificant kid stuff that was trivial. He admitted it with his own mouth. Michael K. But then it got me thinking. Would the host be saying the same thing if he was flipping burgers at a fast food joint? Or washing cars? Or trading stocks for a faceless, non-personal corporation? Would he be making a real difference in any of those jobs? Would he feel all that much better if he was a car washer making a living, ensuring that everyone else's BMWs and Lexuses were polished and clean? Would that give him great satisfaction in life? Which, of course, brought me to my final question. Is there any job in this world that truly gives us any true significance? Couldn't one argue that doctors, the job that everyone admires in society, doctors are also merely working trivial, insignificant jobs because every single one of their patients will ultimately bite the dust and die and they're just prolonging the inevitable glorified mechanics, if you will? And perhaps that's why so many doctors kill themselves every day. According to the advisory board company, doctors have the highest suicide rate of any profession as nearly as much as 400 doctors kill themselves every single year. According to another source, the overall physician suicide rate cited by most studies have been between 28 and 40 per 100,000 compared with the overall rate in the general population of 12.3 per 100,000. Overall then, physicians are more than twice as likely as the general population to kill themselves. Why? Surely, if being a doctor really mattered, so many wouldn't be killing themselves. In this seemingly meaningless life, does anything we do count? Does anything we do matter? Well, that all depends. Under a naturalistic evolutionary mindset where there is no God, then no, nothing we really do counts for anything. And the secular atheist or agnostic has to come to grips with that go on to the campus of our prestigious Ivy League institutions where many of our students are atheistic secularists and you ask them the question what is the ultimate significance in life the most common answer is going to be whatever you want to make it because ultimately they know there is no God this is a this is this universe is the product of time plus matter by plus chance random occurrence and therefore, nothing really matters. Nothing. But of course, we all know deep inside, we're all sitting here today, and we all know our lives and our actions here in this world matters. Or at least we want it to. Right? And in verse 14, Paul actually gives us the right answer. 
He said, there are things that don't count for anything. But then in verse 15, he says, there is one thing that does count, and that's being a new creation. What then contributes to job satisfaction and life satisfaction? The answer is heart motivation. In order for anything to count in life, a person must be motivated by the right reasons. And in order to have the right motivations, a person needs a new heart. Motivation, by the way, cannot be the stock answer that you give at job interviews. You know exactly which one I'm talking about. I want this job because I want to help people. Which essentially is another way of saying, I just want this job because I want to make money for myself and I can't think of anything really creative to say right now. Human beings crave meaning and purpose. It's odd, isn't it? Personally, I know for myself, I couldn't last long at a job that I felt, I personally felt, was completely meaningless, no matter how good the pay was. I couldn't do it. And in our most sober moments, we will all gladly admit that our lives are all too precious to spend on frivolous pursuits. Sometimes we get a glimpse of Christians and humans who see that. I think of the Christian uh, NFL player who last year or the year before was drafted by the 49ers and he said, no, I don't want it. I'm going into ministry. I want to make my life count. And, and the media was, What? Amazed. But those are rare occurrences. By and large, many Christians say they love Christ, but they live like the rest of the world. With the same dreams, the same ambitions, and the same wastage of life. Precious time just ticking away. I tell you what, that man is not going to regret it on his deathbed. I mean, think about it. We all want our lives to count, and the desire, I want to say, is not an evolutionary illusion. If you talk to a biology professor at an Ivy League school and ask him, why then do I want my life to count? Why do I ask myself, what is the purpose of life? He'll tell you, well, that's an evolutionary illusion. And I want to assure you today that it is not. That desire was placed inside of you by Almighty God. But because of our fallen natures, we often forget the time is short, and we are therefore willing to spend large chunks of our lives on jobs that simply pay well. Some of you here today, if someone came to you and gave you an offer of a well-paying job, you will leave your Christianity for it. And that is a sad and tragic reality. Hence, in the busyness of life, we end up doing things that don't really count for anything. We forget that the value of life is not found in the accumulation of money or possessions. As the world foolishly seeks after these items, Christians, by growing lukewarm, fall for the pursuits as well. And we forget the words of Jesus in Luke 12 who said, Watch out, be on your guard against all kinds of greed. Life does not consist in an abundance of possessions. Evidently, the man who lived the most meaningful life of all lived with absolutely nothing. In fact, 
probably the only about the, the only thing he owned his robe was gambled away by soldiers at his crucifixion jesus pursued and had none of the things or titles that the world considers as greatness he had no homes he had no chariots he had no money all he had was his people whom he loved and his father's mission that's it and he lived an abundant life and you could as well you could as well we know that athletes strive for medals and rings we also know that no matter how glorious it seems at the moment champions and athletes are forgotten within a matter of years in fact some of the greatest players that we know in various different sports we've never seen them play nor do we really want to go home and watch tapes of them playing we have better things to do what seemed to be so significant at the moment is lost within a matter of years sometimes within a decade think of some of the championships that have been won within the past decade you can't even name some of them And the debate regarding greatness in sports is often centered on the number of championships that an athlete has won. No matter how great a person has been himself, without a championship, something's missing in his legacy. None of that even matters, however, including championships because all the memories of those who saw you play, including your own memories, fade away. Michael Jordan is probably the most recognizable athlete in this century. 3 years ago, when Michael Jordan turned 50, ESPN magazine did a feature article on him entitled Michael Jordan has not left the building. In it, the author describes the scene at Jordan's home. Quote, "The packing and cataloging starting started several years ago after his divorce. One night, at his suburban Chicago mansion he sat on the floor of his closet with Esty Portnoy she manages his business enterprises since the divorce and much of his personal life it was one in the morning and they were troubled by a safe jordan had it opened in years he couldn't remember the combination everything else stopped as this consumed him After 10 failed attempts, the safe would go into security shutdown and would need to be blown open. They were at attempt number 9. None of the usual numbers worked. Nine different combinations had failed, and they had one try left. Jordan focused. He decided to it had to be a combination of his birthday, February 17th, and old basketball numbers. So he typed in six digits. 921745 click and the door swung open he reached in rediscovering his gold medal from the 1984 olympics except there wasn't really gold anymore it looked tarnished changed dull and quote the greatest basketball player in a generation a safe that he never opened in years a gold medal that he once valued now tarnished dull and just like the athlete the medals also fade it reminds me of the words of the apostle paul 
He said, not everyone who, uh, he said, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. The question is, what are you striving for? Are you striving for a crown or a medal or a job promotion or a job that will not last? Or will you strive to spend your time and efforts on a crown that will last forever? At some point in our lives, we will all ask the question, why am I here? Virtually every human being has eventually asked himself the question in order to have some joy in life. In fact, we need a satisfactory answer to that question to derive some joy in life. Morality, origin, purpose, and destiny are fundamental questions, major questions that every human needs answers to. And they're crying out for answers. We crave for answers. Where, where did we come from? Why am I here? How can I be good? And where am I going? And these are questions that humans universally seek answers for. And the second question, why am I here, is the question regarding human purpose that Paul addresses in verse 15. You see, unlike animals, we think and we reason. And not too long after our childhood is over, and some of us, even during our childhood, we begin to ask that question. Why am I here? We want our lives to count. Of course, if you think about it, the fact that humans even ask that question to begin with powerfully prove that we all innately know that God exists. For no one asks the question of purpose if they did not believe that there was a designer or one who had a purpose for their lives. So it is a powerful indicator that we all know God exists. But that also proves that unless we come to God, we will never know the true purpose of our lives. God has made, indeed, a God-shaped vacuum in our hearts that was designed to seek after Him, that unless it finds Him, life will be completely insufficient and meaningless. Because most human beings, however, will never come to a saving knowledge of God. That's just the truth. Most humans will never achieve any real measure of satisfaction or happiness in life. Listen to John Calvin here. So then if we are all born on the understanding that we should know God, knowledge of Him being empty and unfruitful if it fails to progress that far, it is obvious that all whose thoughts and actions in life are not directed to this goal fall short and fail to fulfill the order of their creation. I don't want any of you here today to fall short and fail to fulfill the purpose of your creation. That would be a tragedy. I could preach a light, entertaining sermon even from this message, but it wouldn't do justice to the text of Paul, and it would be a complete tragedy for your lives. My, life, my job, my motivation is to constantly push you Remind you, don't waste your life. 
Don't waste it. But as I said earlier, it is possible for self-proclaiming Christians to live an aimless, wasted life. In order for us to live lives with right motives, you must be first born again. In other words, you have to become a true creation, a new creation, a true Christian. Listen to what Paul says in verse 15. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor uncircumcision, but a new creation. Now obviously, as I said in previous weeks, this was Paul's way of making a shot, taking a shot at false teachers who were demanding circumcision along with faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. Any religion that adds works to faith in Christ, like Roman Catholicism does, Paul says, is a curse upon its adherents as it leads them to hell. And Paul is being very clear here. He says that the circumcision that a person could see with his eyes do not count for anything. In fact, any good work that's that's done without Christ does not count for anything. And that's a scary thing for your week coming up. You want to know why? Because it is quite possible to go through this entire upcoming week and not do a single eternally worthy thing. And that's not because you weren't evangelizing or reading your Bibles. In fact, you could do all of those things, including study, evangelism, work, Bible study, and it could all be meaningless simply because it wasn't done with faith in Christ and centered on Christ. I want you to realize that even going out and sharing the gospel is meaningless eternally if it's not done out of faith in Jesus. There must be a genuine, born-again heart within you for those works to count. It's like a student who goes to college and audits classes unregistered. And at the end of it all, takes, let's say, a hundred credits, and he expects a degree only to be told, you were never enrolled. Nothing you do in this life, even what you do for the church, matters for anything if you aren't first genuinely born again. And I want to urge you on this point. Do not deceive yourself. Do not deceive yourself. Some people might think, oh, Pastor, why do you make people doubt their salvation? Isn't that a bad thing? I would rather have you struggle with your eternal security here on earth than to have you delude yourselves end up before the presence of God, and God says to you, I never knew you. Paul and Peter both urge their followers, examine yourself, check to see if you are in the faith. Check. There are a great many Christians today, as in the past, who say that they're saved, but when you look at their lives, it doesn't reflect anything. The Bible does. They're deluding themselves. And they will tell you without batting an eyelid that they are Christians. Paul says this, it's not, it's not what you see, okay? Going to school, studying, working hard till late at night, taking care of elderly parents, all those are good works, but, but they all mean nothing without faith in Jesus. Even being in church this morning does not save you. 
It doesn't impress God. It does not save. What matters is not the circumcision that a person can see, but the work that no one can see. What matters is the circumcision of the heart. That's the critical thing. Romans 2, 28-29 For no one is a Jew who is merely one outwardly, nor is circumcision outward and physical. But a Jew is one inwardly, and circumcision is a matter of the heart, by the Spirit, not by the letter. His praise is not from man, but from God. Uh, remember what I said last week? That by amazingly, by the grace of God, we're all true Jews. And I'm not talking about ethnic origin here. I'm talking about the fact that we're all part of God's family. And, and if being part of God's family does not excite you more than getting a new job with bigger pay, then quite frankly, you're not saved. Being part of God's family is the most exciting news and the most precious thing on the face of this earth. Ethnic Jews who reject Jesus are just as shut out of the kingdom of God as unbelieving Gentiles who were born without circumcision. And Paul's point is very simple. We who believe in the gospel are the true people of Israel. That's his point in verse 6. And as for all who walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. The Israel of God in that verse is not a reference to natural born Jews. Let's turn to the Galatian text. The Israel of God here that Paul invokes a blessing of peace and mercy upon is not the Jewish nation. Paul is differentiating the Israel of God from the present-day Israel of his day. Present-day Israel, although circumcised in the flesh, was as lost as any unbelieving Gentile nation. Both Jews and Gentiles will go to hell for their sins if they don't repent and believe in Jesus Christ. There is only one road to eternal life. The God, the Israel of God here in this text is a specific reference to born again believers, those who believe in the gospel of Jesus Christ and therefore are part of the family of God. Listen to this text by Paul in Galatians 4, 4.25. Now Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds with present Jerusalem. For she is in slavery with her children. But Jerusalem above is free, and she is our mother. She is our mother. Notice the possessive pronoun, our, when he refers to Jerusalem. She is our mother. How could this possibly be? Paul is a Jew by blood, but he's talking about, he's talking to Gentile Christians. How are they both part of Jerusalem? Are they both Israel? The answer is simple. They are both, through faith, children of God. And that's the most important part of this entire sermon and the most important part of this entire letter that Paul wrote to the Galatians. And it's simply this. Believe, 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 believe in the gospel. Believe in the gospel. Because nothing else in this life will matter. 
If you're going to spend time to examine something carefully, examine and check to see if you are in the faith. Nothing else matters. Believe in the gospel and be saved. Be justified by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. It was interesting, uh, years ago, as Harvard set up their original charter, their mission statement was simply John 17.3. And Harvard's original mission statement, which you can still see if you visit Harvard, is engraved into stone, though they no longer believe this. Harvard was made for one purpose. And they wrote this, And this is eternal life, that they know you, the one true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. John 17.3 That was the purpose for Harvard's founding. The purpose of all of life, the only way your life will count, is if you know Jesus Christ. Nothing else matters. Nothing. Not your achievements, not your athletic abilities, not the amount of money that you've made, not how popular you are, not how many children you have, not the amount of zeros in your bank account. Nothing matters except knowing Christ and being known by Him. Harvard knew that. I want you to know that. That's why you're here today. That's why you're here. We're the true people of God. You might say, we're not Jewish. I know that. But the person who's a part of God's family is not the person who's a Jew. What we do and what we see have nothing to do with whether or not we're going to heaven. Instead, it is faith that determines our eternal destinies. Do you believe in Jesus? You might be sitting here this morning, but you could still be headed to hell. That is a fearful reality. I could be preaching this message and I could still be headed to hell if I don't have faith in my own heart. Do you believe, do you really believe in Jesus Christ? Are you living a life of obedience or are you simply deluding yourself by continuing to live in sin? And don't trust in your works. Don't trust in your church attendance, what you can see with your eyes, your family lineage, your offering record. All of these things, outward things like circumcision, do not count for anything. Only genuine faith in Christ counts. Do you believe? Verse 16 says, Walk by this rule. Don't just talk about believing in Jesus. Walk the walk. Walk by this rule. Live lives worthy of the gospel. Walk as new creatures. Forsake your old life. Or as Jesus said in Luke 6, Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not do what I tell you? You know what that is? That's another way of saying, Why do you practice homosexuality while calling me your Savior? Why are you still committing sexual immorality? while calling me your Lord? Why are you still not evangelizing or not loving the church while saying that I'm your master? Why is your mouth still filthy while calling me your cleanser? And why do you still hold hate and bitterness while, while saying 
that I've forgiven you. Why do you call Him Lord and not do anything that He has commanded? You know who called Him Lord, Lord, and did nothing? Those very people, He said, depart from me. I never knew you. Take an honest look at your life, not at the things seen, not at how you're dressed, not at where you are, but think about things like your faith. Look at your heart. What do you see inside your heart? Do you see faith? No one else can see it. I, we could see things that are outward. But what Paul is saying that today is that don't count. That does not count for anything. What counts is in you creation. And only you and God know. Are you genuinely saved? I don't give a rip about church attendance or how large this church grows or anything like that. What I care about is making sure that the people that God has entrusted to me are genuinely saved. And I will bother you until God takes my breath away. Make sure your life counts. We are Jerusalem for above. We have become new creatures in Christ. The old has passed away. I want us to look at that Galatian text again. Galatians chapter 6, verse 15. Verse 16 says, Peace and mercy be upon them. And I just established that the them refers to the Israel of God, um, all who believe in Jesus Christ, Peace and mercy will be upon us. Those who are headed to eternal life, those who are already in eternal life, those who walk the walk of faith, for all of us, great peace and mercy be upon us. Why mercy? Mercy, because outside of faith in Jesus Christ, God's wrath and justice is coming. Why peace? Because our sins will only bring about turbulence and distress. Not only in this life, but also in the one to come. The root cause for psychological distress, for destroyed relationships, for the creation of enemies, and the chasm that you have between you, yourself, and the people that you love is sin. Sin is destroying your life. Sin is destroying your life. But like a fast food addict addicted to burgers, you can't stop it and you keep going. It's destroying your life. And most of all, it is destroying your relationship with God. You know, contrary to popular belief, by default, humans are not born as children of God. We are born as enemies of God. Romans 5.10 Here's what it says. For if while we were enemies, our natural default state before believing in Christ, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of His Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by His life. What's amazing about this text is that in the mind of God, Prior to your conversion, 
God already reconciled you to Himself through the death of His Son. That's an amazing thought that I don't really have the time right now to unpack. But in the mind and heart of God, in the perfect plan of God, there was a union with God prior to your conversion through the death of His Son, Jesus Christ. But in actuality, when you believed in Christ, at that point you were actually reconciled. It's interesting. We were reconciled and we are reconciled. What is Paul talking about? There's a twofold reality there. You aren't actually reconciled until you believe in Jesus Christ, but in the mind of God, before you actually believed in Jesus, you were reconciled. Both are true. But the point is this. Before you were reconciled, in other words, before you actually believed in Jesus Christ, you were actually God's enemy. Think of Paul killing Christians. That's what we were before coming to Christ. And as a result, that is why we need God's mercy. We need to be redeemed by the blood of Jesus. And it is only through the gospel that we are united with Him. Now, if we were reconciled with God before the foundation of the world, but then we actually need reconciliation in order to be one with God, what gives? Well, the reality is this. Although God in His mind already knows whom He has elected, the actual application of redemption does not occur until you believe in the gospel. Now, what is the gospel? It's the good news of Jesus Christ. Number one. God exists and He's holy, righteous, just, and love. All of those are true. But number two, all of us are sinners, enemies of God, deserving God's wrath. We're facing eternal hell for our sins. But number three, God loved you so much, He sent His only Son, Jesus Christ, who was fully God and fully man. He lived a sinless life, and He died on the cross and paid for your sins. Three days after, historically resurrected from the grave, that if you repent and hate your sin, turn from your life of sin and put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you will have eternal life. That, at that moment, you see the gospel that I just proclaimed with my mouth, when you believe in that message, genuinely, at that moment, you become a child of God. You cease being His enemy, you become His son or His daughter, transferred from a kingdom of light, darkness, into a kingdom of light, and you become what the Bible calls a new creation. You become a new creature. And Paul's message in all of Galatians is simply this. That's what matters. These false teachers have come into the church and they were saying all sorts of nonsense. And Paul is saying that... Listen... Good works will inevitably come. But what matters is being born again. Are you a new creation in Christ Jesus? Are you? Because that's what matters. So in closing, we are the true children of Israel. The true Israel of God, as Paul will put it. And as such, we strive and we live our lives in a way that Uh, demonstrates that we're after an eternal prize. We're not after the things of this world. We're after what is eternal. 
We strive to be rich in faith, not in money. We strive to win souls and not medals, which fade. We seek abundant relationships instead of abundant possessions. And we strive more than anything else to please God instead of man. And we, because of all this, make our lives count. Here's how you strive to make your life count. Be busy in doing the Lord's work because you believe in the Lord. 2 Corinthians 4.18 puts it this way. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. You know, everyone can see the approval of man. A Facebook-like. Friends applauding you and saying, you're a great person. You could see that with your eyes. But the praise of God is unseen. And that's why so few strive for it. But we as Christians, we fix our eyes on not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I think about our lives and every moment of this upcoming week, at some point, you're going to be tempted to trade in the things for the things that are present and temporary. And that's what's going to come after you. The temptation will be trade in the eternal things for what is temporary. Be like Esau. Give your birthright for a pot of vegetable stew. But I want to urge you this morning, fix your eyes on the one who is unseen and eternal. Fix your eyes upon Jesus. Focus. Focus. Don't let your eyes stray. Stay focused. And may the things of this world grow dim. May the world and its temptations be crucified to you. Die to self so that you can begin living for Christ. Get into friendships that help cultivate that. Engage friends who will tell, ask you, why are you spending your time on those things? Why are you buying those things? Don't be offended. They're sharpening you. They're helping you focus on what is eternal. On your relationships. Giving you proper balance. Are you idolizing a thing or a person or God? Or, or are you worshiping God? After this sermon is over, it is easy for us to say, okay, I get it. Paul said, the things that are seen don't really count, but what matters is a new creation. And it is very easy for us to leave here today thinking, I'm a new creation, so that message is, you know, it was a good message, but it doesn't really move me. My fear is that after you hear a message like this, you leave here and then you spend the entire next week completely wasting your life. It should scare you that there is a possibility for some of you to literally die and never have evangelized and led someone to Christ. It should scare you that you could live your life and never have discipled anyone. It should scare you to think that you could stand before Jesus who, who commissioned all of us to go out and make disciples of all nations. 
Jesus gave a command. He literally said, I have died and I have resurrected for a purpose. So that you could go into all the world and make disciples of nations. And He's given you that commission as His final words before He left planet Earth. And it should be scary that we are looking at the possibility that we could stand before an Almighty God and tell Him, well, I know you commanded me to do all those things, but I've completely wasted my life. In fact, we don't even have to say it. God already knows. I've spent my life on trivial things. Now the world may not call it that. Oh, you are a doctor. You help people. Yeah, but you know what? In God's eyes, as I've made the point this morning, none of that matters if it's not done in faith in Christ. I want to urge you, because I want to get a little bit more pointed here as I close. What you do matters. Yes, you can be a doctor, a lawyer, a pharmacist, an engineer, all for Jesus Christ. That's important. That honors God. And in fact, in Colossians it says, you will be rewarded for that one day. But I want to be a little bit more pointed here. I want to say this. All those matter. But in 1 Corinthians 15, Paul says that the work of the Lord is what ultimately matters. The work of the Lord. So my, my, my exhortation to you this morning is simply this. Yes, be about doing all of those things, raising a godly family, working hard, studying hard for the glory of God. But above all, be intentional about making disciples. Be intentional about evangelism. Set it in your heart today that you will not waste your life. In fact, set it in your heart so that the money that you make will be used to maximize disciple-making all around the world. Set it in your heart today that everything you do in terms of your education will go towards a singular goal of bringing the nations to Christ. Set it in your heart. Make it firm in your heart that you will be about the evangelization of the world and the creation of disciples all over the world and thereby not waste your life. There should not be a reason why any one of us ends this life without having fulfilled the great commission of Christ. Make your life count. Be about the Lord's work. Evangelize and make disciples. Let's pray.